Amen. Brothers and sisters, please do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the New like Covenant to find out Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, also the OPC, in the San Francisco and Bay Area. That's Isaiah if you've benefited from this ministry and want to know ways you can help support it, please give like your to make you aware of the reading of God's holy word. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone Cry up and aloud, down. But spare overall, not. Things have been Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Has been small. Tell my now, people the their transgression and the house of Jacob we their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you have taken no notice? In One of the fact, things that we in the want day to, of your to be fast, is a church that is able to look beyond itself and exploit for the all sake your of the advancement of the kingdom Indeed, of God. We believe that this new building and debate, can help us and to strike and with so the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. And that is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? The preaching is of the this not so the fast that I have chosen? To loose to, the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy built, burdens, to let the oppressed go to free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to line? share your Our bread with the hungry, and that you bring you to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke of, from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old places, waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets." to dwell in. Amen. Brothers and sisters, thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Let's ask now for God's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Oh, Father, We are so prone to deceive ourselves, so prone to think we are doing right when we are not. How we do ask that you would help us to know the difference, that we would, Lord, not be, not be overly fearful if we are, in fact, following the Scriptures, but yet also, Lord, not, Lord, help us not to deceive ourselves, to think that we are when we are not. Grant us, Lord, this wisdom, uh, even through the preaching of your word, and Lord, how we do ask that, that if there be any here who are uh, living in, in sins in, the, in this way and yet uh, convincing themselves that things will go well with them, uh, Lord, how we do ask and pray that your word would convict them now that even as you sent 
Isaiah to proclaim this word, to shout it out loud, O oh Lord, to make the voice heard in the streets. Lord, that so too you would bless the preaching of your word to this end, that, that those who have uh, falsely convinced themselves of their good standing uh, with you, Lord, that there would be uh, brought to a true repentance. Lord, do this, we do pray, for the sake of the honor and glory of your name, that your name might be honored as it ought to be honored. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, brothers and sisters, as I mentioned uh, during the announcements, the session has called for uh, one day each quarter for, as a day of prayer and fasting. And um, we've done this a couple times now at this point, I believe. And um, one of the things that we were planning on doing is to have uh, one sermon that would come before the day of prayer and fasting to give instruction and guidance with regard to uh, fasting itself. And uh, just in the Lord's providence, uh, this, this sermon, this passage came, Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 12, which is about fasting, and it came just, uh, just about 10 days, or about a couple weeks here, I guess a, 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 maybe two and a half weeks here before, uh, before we will actually be having a day of prayer and fasting, and so uh, this will be the sermon that is related to fasting for our day of prayer and fasting. It is to be a guidance for us, and in the Lord's providence, we we again come to this passage now at this point. And so, in light of that, I do want to, to uh, read again the resolution of prayer and fasting that has been made by the session. The reason we are doing this uh, in a couple weeks, so we can be oriented to the kind of fast that we are going to do, and then to be able to hear what Isaiah is saying about the sort of fast that God does not accept and the kind of fast that he does accept. Because um, the, the, the warning that Isaiah is giving is that there can be a people who appear to be seeking God. They appear to be seeking God. They are even fasting. And they are totally shocked when they hear that God is actually far from them. And so as we think about setting aside one day uh, each quarter for prayer and fasting, we have to recognize that um, the same thing could happen to us, that we could actually be drawing near to God and desiring to, to uh, do various things, even be fasting, and yet God be far from us. And so uh, let us uh, think about these, these various things. And again, we'll, let, let me read now the, the resolution of prayer and fasting. So this is what, our, this is what the session has, has called for. Whereas the church is called to be salt and light in the world and yet has largely lost its saltiness in this country and has often been guilty of hiding its light under a basket. As the enemies of God's people gather against the Lord and against his Christ, such that the church has languished, diminished, and been reduced to a remnant. Whereas grievous sins, which are an abomination to God and which God has judged in the past with the outpouring of fire, have proliferated in our country as a result of turning away from him, such that he has given us over to our foolishness as seen in our country's inability to distinguish men from women. Whereas Christ is seated at the right hand of God, having received the spirit to pour out on all flesh in order to build the church sovereignly that the gates of hell might not stand against it. And whereas... Christ has defeated Satan and bound him such that he should not be able to deceive the nations any further, that Christ might have the obedience of the nations. And whereas God is a God who is nearer to us whenever we call upon him, who relents from calamity when a people humbles themselves before him and who grants faith to, to, to all those who have been appointed for eternal life. 
Be it therefore resolved that the session of New Covenant OPC has called for a quarterly fast ordinarily to be kept on the second Wednesday of the months of February, May, August, and November of each year to beseech the Lord earnestly to pour out the Spirit, sovereignly to build and renew the church, and graciously to have pity on her as she lies desolate, that she might be set up as a city on a hill once more. Be it further resolved that these fasts will be made specifically to devote ourselves to prayer for the advancement of the gospel, the revival of the fear of God in our country, the planting of churches, and the ingathering of the nations, and are to continue until such a time as the Lord manifestly restores the fortunes of the church. Humbly and prayerfully offered for the glory of Jesus Christ, the great and glorious Savior who has purchased the church with his own blood, who will have the full reward for his sufferings, and who is able to cause the light of the gospel to pierce the darkness of the lies of Satan. Uh, that is the resolution of prayer and fasting, and that is the reason why we will have a, prayer and, uh, a day of prayer and fasting coming up uh, here, and again, that will be on uh, February the 14th. So please do mark your, your calendars for that. And just as, a, just as an understanding, why, why is it that we, do, we, that we have this? Just to kind of simplify what, we've, what I read with regard to the day of prayer and fasting, uh, we are recognizing that uh, our country is in great need, that the spiritual state of our country is uh, very poor, and that it has been declining for some time. And yet we also believe, we're, we're not being defeatist, we're, we're recognizing that, that, that we're going the wrong direction, and yet we are also recognizing that God is absolutely mighty and powerful, that Christ will have the nations, He will have the nations, and that the moment that the Spirit is poured out, that the church will be turned, and therefore, we also know even further that because of, of our position with regard to our relationship to God, we believe that if we humble ourselves before God and call out to Him earnestly, we believe that God hears us. And therefore, if God hears us, if He's able to change the situation, if He were to, to tell us, yes, if He were to say, we, we plead with God to pour out the Spirit, and God says, I will pour out the Spirit, then we know that the church will be turned around. We know that even the country will be transformed, that even though the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, even as the waters cover the sea. And therefore, since it is a dire situation, a situation that is... Um, that is one that is fitting for us to humble ourselves before God and to call out to Him. We have uh, decided to uh, call upon God in this fast. Uh, so that is what we are going to be doing. Now, as I said, there are yet many pitfalls. We, we, it is possible for a people to uh, deceive themselves and to think, you know, I'm, I'm humbling myself before God, I'm approaching God, and all things uh, surely are going to be right, and yet God doesn't hear us. Why is it that God doesn't hear us? There must be some kind of problem, some kind of reason why God is not uh, inclining His ear to us. And therefore, what Isaiah says here is crucial, because as we think about the state of our country, you'll notice that everything in the resolution of prayer and fasting is about praying that God would pour out the Spirit for the sake of the glory of His name. That's the thing that we desire. And if we want God to hear us, we have to recognize that there, there are things that we could do that would undermine our own prayers that would cause God to say, well, I'm not going to, to hear a people who prays like this because their fast is an abomination to me. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure as we think about fasting that we do not fall into this pit. We, 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 we believe that God will hear our prayers, and yet we, uh, we, we want to make our prayers in a way that is in fact, godly. And therefore, Isaiah gives this great warning to, to a people that were um, laid low by God, who determined that they should fast in light of this, and yet 
uh, whose fasting was not acceptable to God. And this leads to the question, what, what kind of fasting is acceptable to God? And even more broadly, fasting is a, a, a part, an element of worship, a part of worship, so to speak. Uh, what kind of worship is, is, is acceptable to God? Are we serving God in a manner that is acceptable to him? Or are we not? And the main thing that Isaiah is pointing out here as, he, as, he's, as he's going through the sins of the people that they, are, that they are shocked to hear about is that if you draw near to God to worship him and yet are not loving your brothers and your sisters in the faith, that undermines your worship. It is not a worship that is acceptable to God. Uh, if, if we are to, to draw near to God and we want... Um, him to actually draw near to us, we cannot draw near as hypocrites. And what, the, and what Isaiah is saying here is that if you draw near to God while you harbor hatred in your heart, then God will remain far from you, even as you say that you are drawing near to him. Because you are drawing near to him outwardly, but you are not drawing near to him in your heart. And therefore, as we think about this day of prayer and fasting, brothers and sisters, we have to recognize um, there are things that can undermine it. Um, if if we have our gift at the altar and we recognize that there is someone that has something against us, as the Lord Jesus Christ says, we are to leave that gift on the altar and go first be reconciled to our brother or sister and then come and give the gift. We, we are to make sure that when we fast, we are doing so uh, from hearts that are in fact loving uh, our, our brothers and sisters. And so basically uh, what Isaiah is teaching is the same thing uh, that uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ points out in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, in his quotation of Hosea 6, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. You could even say God desires mercy and not fasting. Now, it's not to say that fasting is bad, but it is to say that any sort of fasting that does not include a, uh, a mercy uh, is, in fact, not going to be acceptable to him. Now, um, this section of Isaiah is really dealing with the sins of the people. We, we've looked at that in a number of different ways in Isaiah 56 now through, through 58. There's going to be a, a shift that's going to happen in the second part of Isaiah 59 where, the, where Isaiah will begin to focus more directly on uh, the salvation that will come through the Messiah as we will see. But to this point, Isaiah has been looking lar largely at the various sins of the people. There's been uh, things related to the gospel in each chapter, and yet um, it's, it's always been the gospel as opposed to this really strong attempt to, to bring conviction of sins upon the people. We saw at the end of chapter 56 uh, the sins of the leaders. We saw in 57 the great sins of idolatry, which you could say is the, the corruption of different practices in worship. And now, if you were to ask, you know, what's, what's Isaiah 58 really about? The idea is a, the sins of the people, um, not in the worship practices outwardly, but in the state of their hearts as they come before God in worship. That is the main thing that Isaiah is addressing in, in, in Isaiah 58, and this is what we'll, we'll be looking at here uh, this morning. Now, we'll, we'll look at this passage under two headings. First in verses 1 through 5, uh, Isaiah describes the kind of fasting that God does not desire. So the fasting that God does not desire in verses 1 to 5. And then in verses 6 through 12, the fast that God does desire, which is uh, mercy, so to speak, in verses 6 through 12. So there's the fast that God does not desire and the fast that God does desire. Now, you'll note in this very first verse 
how Isaiah is called to speak out loudly here against the sins of the people. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. The, the, the point is that Isaiah here is commanded to, uh, to proclaim the sins of the people, uh, not to be quiet about it. And we are um, immediately struck with the language here of how Isaiah is to address the people. And what we are immediately to understand is that whatever comes after this must be sins that God takes to be very serious. This is not like, you know, your, your, your brother or your sister falls into something small and you just go and very gently prod them in the right direction. That's, that's not what's being commanded to Isaiah. What, what Isaiah is being told here is, look, these are significant sins, whatever is going to come next, and therefore you are to, you are to proclaim it. You are to... Uh, cry aloud. Your voice is to be even like a trumpet uh, because the, these sins are so significant uh, that they need to be addressed in this way. So this leads to the question then again, what, what sort of sins could be described here? You'll notice um, that the way in which the nation is described in verse 2, the way in which they, they kind of perceive themselves is, is such that you would not immediately think that they're committing uh, terrible sins. What Isaiah says is, yet they seek me daily, verse 2, in delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. This is the idea is as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice and they take delight in approaching God. Now, this is an important uh, verse to understand here what Isaiah is, is doing. It can be very easy when we read passages in the prophets to say, well, look, the, these people were way off. They, you know, and, that we, and you can judge that they're way off because of the way in which the prophets so strongly condemn so many sins and show them to be so grievous. And it can be easy to think like, you know, these, these, are, these are really, really, um, you know, bad sinners who have done, who have done quite a lot. Um, but it's important to note that, yes, that is the way in which they are described. But yet, if you were to look at these people outwardly, you would see something more like verse 2. That is to say... They regularly approach God. They even delight in the ordinances of God. They are diligent in worship. They believe they are doing things correctly. And yet it is to such a people as that that Isaiah is saying, these are how all these significant sins actually apply. This is the, this, this is the way we're, in, in which we're to understand the prophets. It can be very easy for us to separate ourselves from them and say, well, we're, we're certainly not doing those things. But um, brothers and sisters, the, 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 the prophets speak a message very often to a people who believe that they were doing the things that delighted, in, that, that delighted God. Uh, the Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 2 where uh, after in Romans chapter 1, he describes these very heinous sins that all the Gentiles, all the pagans are doing. And, you know, he says, you know, those who practice things deserve death clearly, and those who teach them, they, they clearly deserve death as well. And yet he knows, he knows that as he's writing Romans chapter 1, he, he knows that there are going to be some people who are going to say, oh, yeah, well, those, those are all those people, and that we're not doing those sorts of sins. And therefore, in, in chapter 2, in verse 1, he says, therefore, you... You, you the reader, you are without excuse. Not, not just them, you are without excuse. You, 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 if you condemn those things, as everyone was condemning those things in Romans 1, and yet in your heart secretly do the same things yourself. 
And this is what, what, what the Apostle Paul then describes. He moves on to describing the Jews particularly, and he says, you know, particularly in verses 17 and following, you know, uh, you, you think you're a guide to the blind. You think that you're, uh, you know, that you, you are one who follows the Word of God, and yet, look, you, you say this, and yet you do these other things. You've, you've deceived yourself into thinking that you are right with God because of your religious exercises, and yet your heart is far from Him. And therefore, the Apostle Paul even says it's not small things. It's not, it's not, you're not just a little bit off. What, what Paul says, very similarly to what Isaiah says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul says. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we have to think uh, very carefully about these sorts of, of sins. Um, it is possible to outwardly appear to be doing the right thing, to have no sort of outwardly scandalous sins being committed, to be approaching God regularly, and yet to have a heart that is far from Him. You know, perhaps you're here every time uh, you that we um, every time we open the doors, and it's a, a it's a good thing. You should be here. Uh, you know, if you enjoy being here, that's a good thing. But but even even these sorts of things is not enough. The the question is, you must ask yourself: Is why 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 do you come to church? And even further, you should delight to come to church. Why do you delight to come to church? Is it for the sake of appearing to be doing the right thing in the eyes of men? Or is it because you love God? Is it because you love God? Because anything short of that is going to lead to the kind of person that Isaiah is describing in verse 2. That, that Look, these people, they, they are a nation that delights to know my ways. They appear that way. As if they were a nation that did righteousness. That they did not forsake the ordinances of God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They delight in the approach of God. And then they fast. And I don't listen to them. And then they ask this question, why have we fasted? Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Why, why are we doing all these things? And yet it appears that there is no benefit at all. Brothers and sisters, this, this could be us if we do not approach God with hearts that are cleansed by faith, with hearts that truly love Him. Now, you could even say in terms of like, you know, just comparing us with, with uh, this kind of people, not only are they doing all these things, but they are also regularly fasting. Now, in, in today's world, I would say, you know, probably not, not uh, you know, fasting doesn't seem to be the sort of thing that many people are doing. Um, there's, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ assumes that there will be fasts that will happen. And yet, um, you know, we, we have uh, probably not as a nation been fasting the way that we ought. And so there's already, even outwardly, an advantage that the Jews here at this point, the Israelites have even over us. So, you know, they're, they're approaching God and they're regularly fasting. And yet God says it is of no value. It is of no value. Now, what then follows from this point is then highly significant because we, it's, it's crucial that we understand how a people could look so good on the outside and yet have such a strong condemnation given to them by the prophet. What, what could be really happening that would show that their fasting is, is so useless, that, that they're doing so many things right outwardly, and yet apparently they are so far from God, such that they could actually ask. They're, they're shocked. They're shocked to hear this, this, uh, this uh, condemnation from, uh, from Isaiah. They're shocked that God doesn't hear them. The answer is given in the second part of verse 3 and following. 
This is what God says. This is, this is the reason why he is far from them. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this, this day to make your voice heard on high. So, th so that's, that's the idea. So, so the idea is, is that on your day of your fast, you desire to find pleasure for yourself, which means that the thing that this proves is that the, the, the doing of the fast is only for the sake of outward appearance. Now, the reason this is the case is because you'll remember the entire purpose of a fast, not just like some of the purpose, the entire purpose of the fast is to humble yourself before God. So if you desire to do a fast and you're seen by others doing this fast, but then you're going out and doing things for your own pleasure as if you are not in a state of humility, then the idea is that you've not actually humbled your heart. You've, you've, you've rent your garments, as Joel says, but you've not actually rent your heart. The idea is that you, you humble yourself because there is some real reason to humble yourself. The reason we, we've given in terms of our resolution of prayer and fasting is the, the deplorable state of the church and the, the proliferation of great sins in our country. And we'd say that's a, that's a, that's a worthy reason for us to humble ourselves before God. But if, if we say we're going to humble ourselves before God because of our, our dismay at all of these great sins, and then we say, you know, we're going to humble ourselves, we're going to fast, but then we just go out and, and live our, our lives on that day as if, as if everything is perfect and we go out and seek our own enjoyment, well, then, then, it, then the question would then be, why then are you fasting? Are you really humbling yourself before God? The answer that would have to be given then is you are doing it for the sake of outward appearance. You are doing it to be seen to be fasting by others, but not actually to humble yourself before God. And then further, if that is the case, then what Isaiah says is, uh, you, you do this to be seen by others, so it's not actually affecting your heart. And this can further be seen by the way in which you treat others. You exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate to strike with the fists of wickedness. So the idea then further is that if you, if you fast, that you're humbling yourself before God, and then immediately go out and do something that is, um, that is sinful against your brother or your sister in Christ, then the idea is, is again, like, are, are we not seeking the Lord's blessing and kindness and, and humbling ourselves because of our own sins? Are we then going to go out and treat our brothers and sisters poorly, even on the days that we're fasting? And what, what, the, the point Isaiah is making is that those who do such things, those who do such things show that they are not actually fasting in a way uh, that is pleasing to God. This is again where we see the relevance of what the Lord Jesus Christ has taught in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 23 and 24 on his teaching on the sixth commandment, that if you have a gift on the altar and there you recognize that there is, there is hatred between your brother and there's something that is, you have against them or they have against you, don't just, don't just offer the gift without seeking reconciliation. The point is that there is something that must be done in order to purify the sacrifice itself. That is to say, the worship that God desires is a worship that is given by a people that loves one another. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ says, all people will know that you are my disciples by the love which you, uh, which you have one for another. And this is something that Isaiah has even picked up on uh, earlier in the book, uh, very early actually in, in chapter one. Isaiah speaks about how much God even hates the, um, the, the worship that the people of God have given to him. And it's for the, it's for the same reasons. So for instance, uh, and even in verse 10, beginning in verse 10 of, of chapter 1, notice that for this sort of sin, he calls them rulers of Sodom and people of Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law 
of, of our God, you people of Gomorrah, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? So now we're in the context of worship. And God's saying they're pointless. Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of, of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come uh, uh, to appear before me, who has, uh, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more fuel sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure, and this is where we see the, the, the whole point, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. I cannot endure a people who are sinning against themselves so much as you are, who are filled with strife and contention, and then come near to me and think that their worship is acceptable to me. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. If you, if you are regularly sinning against others, if you are regularly exploiting others and then draw near to God, then what God says is, I do not, I, I will not hear those kinds of prayers. And particularly then, as Isaiah says in 58, similarly, the fasting that you do will not be something that my soul delights in. And even, even then we see, um, we see further than the very end of, of verse 4, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Now, here, here we're given something even more in terms of the, the, uh, what fasting is for. Uh, fasting is for humbling yourself as you come before God in prayer. And this is the, this was the, the thing that they had mentioned in, in verse 3. They were asking why they have fasted, and yet God does not notice them. The, the idea is that they have no access to God even as they are fasting. And the point then, brothers and sisters, is as we think about our own fasting and the fasting that is coming up, this is what we need to, to, to understand. The point of, purpose of the fasting is to humble ourselves that we might make our voices heard to God. That's, that, is, that is the entire purpose of the fast. And if we are to be heard by God, we cannot be harboring sin in our hearts without repentance. There, there must be a genuine repentance uh, before God if He, in fact, is going to hear us. Because anything less than that is hypocrisy. This is, the, this is the, the kind of thing that uh, the author of the Hebrews is addressing in Hebrews chapter 6 in the Lord's province. We had read this at that time. That if you, if, if you have received these great and glorious outward benefits because you're a member of the church, if, if you've tasted of the heavenly gift in this sense, if you do all those things and yet live a life of sin, if you live a life of sin even as you have all those, those things, that is something that God hates. God, God hates hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. Now, um, as we think about the idea of hypocrisy, it can be uh, easy for people who are perhaps struggle with assurance to, uh, to wonder if they are, in fact, a hypocrite. So there are, there's, there's you know, two kinds of people that you could say are, make some kind of profession of faith, and yet there's you know, some question. The hypocrite, on the, uh, on the one hand, is not a real Christian, even though he makes a profession of faith. And there's another kind of person. There is the, the person who is lacking in assurance. And this person is someone who, um, who is, is curious about their own state and, um, and yet is wondering, you know, is, is always going to be wondering, am I, in fact, a hypocrite? So there's important, it's important to distinguish between a hypocrite and a person, a, a real Christian, who has... Uh, who has 
um, who is struggling with the um, with their own assurance. Isaiah here is describing the hypocrite. So just a couple of things that would distinguish um, a, a hypocrite from a weak believer who is struggling with assurance. First, a hypocrite is someone who is shocked to hear that they are doing something wrong. A, a hypocrite is one who believes that they have attained more than they actually have. Typically, a real believer who struggles with assurance is someone who has attained to more than what they believe they've attained. The hypocrite, on the other hand, is someone who believes they've attained to much more than they actually have. So when a hypocrite is then confronted, he will get offended and he'll say, well, how could, how could this actually apply to me? The believer who struggles with assurance is going to hear these sorts of things and immediately be led to repentance. And they're immediately going to, going to investigate their own lives and they're going to, to say, um, am, am I committing these sins? And where they see weakness, they're going to repent. Those, those who are in that position should be assured of their faith and, and of their salvation. But the one, the one who is surprised to hear that they have not attained as much as they believe they have attained, that's the person, the one who, who believes that they, that they have this, this great access to God. This is the one uh, that Isaiah is, in fact, addressing. And it is such hypocrisy that leads to a fasting that God does not desire. Now, uh, he then says in verse 5, uh, is this the fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to make and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? The idea in verse 5 is very simply to say that God has not chosen uh, such a fast, and he is not impressed with some sort of outward display of humility if the humility has not reached the heart. As Joel has said, you must not just rend the garment, you must rend the heart. This is the thing that God cares about. Uh, God, uh, it, God does not desire the kind of fast that is described in verses 1 through 5. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about this upcoming day of prayer and fasting, this is, this is the exhortation. We, we must, in order for this, this kind of fast to be acceptable to God, we must have a true sense of the weight and gravity of the thing that is causing us to pray and to fast. This is to say, is your heart torn over the state of the church? Is it, is it torn? Do, do you mourn as you look upon the way in which God's name is so blasphemed? The way in which there is so, such great prolific sins that are being committed with such a high hand, with no regard at all for God. It is that, uh, that piercing your heart and even to, to think about the way in which the church has failed, that's what we have in the, 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 the resolution as well. We have been called to act in a certain way and have failed to preserve this world as salt and light. Do, do you, does, it, does it bother you that it is our sins that have produced this? Does, 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 does this state, is it worthy of you to humble yourself? Is your heart humbled such that you can say, you know, it's, it's actually just fitting for me to mourn and to plead with God to turn this thing around. That, if, if that is the state of your heart, then we are in the position of being able to fast and pray as a congregation and to know that God will hear us. To, to recognize that we are in a state of needing to mourn, actually mourning over the very thing that we're, that we're thinking about, and then believing that God can turn it around and calling upon Him to do so. That is the kind of fast that God, in fact, desires. Now, in verses 6 through 12, Isaiah gives other... Uh, other instructions, 
with regard to the kind of fast that God desires. And here, are the, the answer, the, the, the thing that Isaiah really is focusing on is the way in which we treat other people. It's, again, very similar to uh, Hosea chapter 6. The, the, uh, any sort of worship that is not paired with a love for other Christians is not acceptable uh, to God. And so, uh, what, what we have here is that there is, in verses 6 through 12, um, Isaiah will describe the kinds of actions that, he, that God desires, and then there will be then a statement about God's blessings if you do those things, and then um, it happens again. There's another set of things that God desires to see done, and then there's another set of blessings that God, uh, that God will give. And so there's this kind of parallel. It's, there's, you know, this, you should be doing this. This is the blessing. There's, you should be doing this. This is the blessing. So we'll, we'll look at the, the fast that God chooses by just looking at those two kind of parallel points together. This would be verses 6 and 7, and then the second part of verse 9 to the beginning of, of verse 10. So you'll notice what, what, what um, Isaiah says, is, not the, is, not, is this not the fast that I have chosen? So here's what you should be doing in terms of your fasting. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, to, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you uh, bring to your house the, the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. And then going get down to the second part of verse 9, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, uh, the afflicted soul, then your light shall, shall dawn uh, in the darkness. And he goes on to, 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 to the blessings. The point is that you'll notice everything that is said is about the way in which you treat others. This is to say, um, the kind of fasting that God will accept is treating other people well and with love. Now, the motivation that you should have to this is found in the gospel itself. If the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all your sins, then you also ought to forgive the sins of those who have sinned against you. And if you have received this grace from God and yet are unwilling to forgive the sins of others, then the point that is, that is being made is that this, this undermines your profession of faith it doesn't make any sense in light of the realities of the, of the gospel, and therefore it will hinder your worship. Now, brothers and sisters, just, just, as, a, just as something to, to keep in mind and just as a truce to keep in mind as to why we are to treat our brothers and sisters this way, note for one, as I mentioned many times and will continue to mention, Christ counts everything done to Christians as having been done to himself. Just think about that. Christ counts everything done to Christians as having been done to himself. This actually appears in the very passage we, the very passage we read from Hebrews chapter 6. The author of the Hebrews gives this, this very strong warning to the Christians he's addressing. He says, you know, if you, if you have this level of knowledge and, you, and these blessings and you turn away, you, you, you can't even be restored. And then he says, I'm convinced of better things for you. What is the grounds that he has for being convinced of this, the true salvation of the people he's addressing? It's the love that they've shown for God. So if you, if you have a true love for God, then, then clearly then you've been converted. And then he says, I, I, I see that you have a true love for God. Now, that's a little bit difficult to ascertain whether or not someone has a true love for God. What, what, what is the evidence that the, that the author to the Hebrews says is, shows that, that you have had, that you actually do have this love for God? He says, you've, you've shown your love for God in your service of the saints. It's the service of the saints. It's your love for other Christians. And I, what he's saying is, I have seen your genuine care for other Christians. And when I see that, I can see that you truly love God. And therefore, I can say, I am concerned of the, I, I'm convinced of better things for you. 
the, the point is that there's a connection between your love for God and your love for people. As the, as the Apostle John has said, no one can say, no, no one who says that they love God whom they have never seen and yet hates his brother whom he has seen, who's made in the image of God, no one can say that without being a liar. If you love God whom you have not seen, then you are bound also to love those who are made in his image, and even more particularly, those who have been remade in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, those, those for whom Christ has died. This is the reason, again, why the Lord Jesus Christ says, a new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another as I have loved you, you are to love one another. It is by this that all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So brothers and sisters, if you come regularly to, to worship, if you, even if you delight to come, and yet you consistently fail to love others, you must recognize that sort of worship is, it's not just like a little bit wrong. The trumpet is to be lifted up against such sins. It is an abomination to God. God is wearied by that sort of worship. If we do not have a love for one another as we come to God in worship, God will not hear us. The kind of fasting that God desires is the fasting that is characterized by true love one for another. That is what we are to do. And if we do that, what, what Isaiah says is that there will be great blessings. Notice what he says. In various points, he says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall, sp shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, and you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now, all of this description is a description of the restoration. Isaiah has already prophesied about the, the exile and yet the prophets, as we've noted, are always prophesying also about the restoration. Notice as well, the idea here is that there, is a, there are waste places. The church is in a poor and pitiful condition and state. And they're fasting with regard to this poor and pitiful condition and state of the church. And what God says is, if you fast, and then also in that fast, there's a genuine love that you have one for another. Notice there's a promise of restoration. Now, I'll just, just ask in terms of our own resolution of prayer and fasting. Is this not exactly what we are after? Is this not exactly the thing that we're after? And notice the promise that's given in Isaiah is that if you make, if you bring this request to me, and you humble yourselves in this way, and you truly have this love for others, where there's this genuine love for me, I will hear that prayer, and I will restore the desolate church. I will restore the church that is in ruins. Brothers and sisters, as we think about this, we're, we're, we're fighting. We are fighting for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's what, that, that's what we are to do out of love for God. And notice here we have the promise of the restoration of the very thing that we are seeking. If we will humble ourselves before God, if we will call upon His name, if we will fast and pray, if we will humble ourselves, but then also, if in that fasting and praying, if it is, has along with it a genuine love for God that is displayed and seen first and foremost in the love that we have one for another. Brothers and sisters, may it be that we would be characterized by such love, that we would be characterized by such love for others, and that our worship would in fact be a worship that is, that is given to God with hearts that truly do love Him, and may it be that, uh, that the, 
the love, this love for God would be demonstrated in our love for others. For brothers and sisters, as the Lord Jesus Christ has also said, on the last day, we will all stand before him. And the Lord Jesus Christ will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And in that day, the criteria for determining which side you will be on, the great criteria will be whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine you did for me. It's not, not speaking predominantly about the poor. It's speaking about the poor in Christ. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, those who have been redeemed by my blood, though you've seen those who've been remade in the image of Christ and you've said, those are the people that I love and I will serve them to the end of my days. Those, whatever you did to the least of these brothers of mine you did to me, enter in to the joy of your master. Those who do not so act, they will be put on the left side of, of Christ and they will go to eternal destruction. May it be Lord, uh, that, that God would grant that your worship would be acceptable to God and that you would serve the brothers and sisters of Christ all the days of your life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you would keep us from hypocrisy. We, we think about the, uh, the, the strong language that Isaiah uses here in this text. And Lord, very often we know that with hypocrisy, there needs to be a, a waking up, uh, that, that there, is a, uh, there, there needs to be, uh, Lord, loud noises, so to speak, to, to, to wake a person from their slumber. Lord, how we do ask and pray that, that you would do this, this sanctifying work, that, this, that you would do this gracious work, and that you would put it deep in our hearts, a fear of you, but Lord, also a genuine love for your name, that it, that it would be displayed Lord, not just with us trying to do outward things to be seen by others, not, not even do that at all, Lord, but, to, but truly to love you and to love others. And Lord, that when we do pray and fast, that we would do so humbling ourselves before you. And Father, how we do plead with you as we think about your church, which lies in ruins. Lord, Lord we, we, we think about all the compromises over the recent decades and even centuries, oh Lord. And we think about this steady decline that we have seen and the need for the outpouring of your spirit. We think of the way in which your name is blasphemed. Lord, how we do plead with you that you would pour out your spirit, that, the, that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would have the obedience of the nations even as he is worthy. We ask that you would do this, O oh Lord. Hear our prayers. Forgive us when we have sinned. Forgive us, O oh Lord, even as we, we, we uh, Lord, we, we even sin in the ways that Isaiah has described. Hear our prayers yet for the sake of the glory of your name. Grant to us this love. And Lord, grant to us this love that we might even be led to, 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 uh, to plead with you in these ways that you might hear and that you might act for the good of your name. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.